0: No purchase necessary. boy, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, hey everybody. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. This is Harriet Kimmicks with Down to Earth. It's the show in which we talk about the issues that matter. And today on our show, we're going to talk about Tamir Rice and the fact that he would have been 18 yesterday on June 22nd. It's interesting to talk about this because we're in the era of Black Lives Matter. We're in the era of anti-racism, protests. We're trying to tear down the systems that have divided us and the systems that have contributed to poverty and violence and lack of equity in health care, the disparities in health care and education. Also, we're finding that these things happen across the board. They happen in corporate boardrooms. In corporate spaces, corporate America is part of white supremacy. They're part of the system that ensures that black people, I don't know that it's directed at Hispanics or Asians, it's black people who are disproportionately marginalized and impacted by white supremacy. It's not something that Asians get along, they get by. They open, they'll open. open the door for an Asian, but they won't open the door for a black person. If your face is black and you show up, you're not going to get the job, but they'll give it to the Asian. They might give it to the Hispanic, especially if they look white and they can't tell if they're from Argentina or Spain, they'll give it to them. And a lot of people who are people of color mirror white people. A lot of Arabs and, and people from other places, they go and bleach their skin and wear colored contacts and color their hair just so they will blend in with the rest of the population. That's how impactful racism is. And so they're trying to appear white, they mimic whiteness so that they won't be affected because they know that if it's found out that they're ethnic, then they're likely to be treated just like how black people are treated. And that's the system that we're trying to tear down. That's the system that we must work to dismantle. That's what this is all about. Make no mistake about it. We can't move forward because we have come so far now. We're stuck, so we have to keep it moving and keep the engine driving. Now, how it's going to pan out, it's anybody's business. It's anybody's guess because they might not like it. They might not like the fact that we continue to uh, march, protest, and demonstrate. They might try to find ways to curb that because it represents a threat to their own personal safety. See, the whole thing with white supremacy is that it's not affecting them. I've heard so many white people during this say, I had no idea it was this bad. And I'm like, have you been living under a rock? What planet have you been living under? Did you really imbibe the rhetoric and the narratives from your ancestors, from your parents and grandparents and the people in your community that black people are lazy? that the reason why they are shooting and fighting is because they're lazy? Does that not seem like people are resentful to you? I mean, if you look at conflict anywhere in the world, what do people do when they're dissatisfied with the status quo? They take to the streets. They march. They protest, right? They react violently because they feel that the system is stacked against them. Isn't that so? So what makes you as a white person in your cocoon say, I had no idea it was this bad. What do you think this has been all about? You think Al Sharpton didn't have anything else to do? Somebody referred to him on Twitter as a professional victim. And I'm like, my God, the, 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 the assumptions that you make, you really think this is fun for any of us? You think it's nice to know you apply for a job and you're just as qualified and you don't get the job because white supremacy and white privilege exists? My daughter applied for a job as an attorney the other day, and they told her, you're not an attorney yet, so you can't negotiate like an attorney. But the white guy who's working in the firm hasn't gotten his uh, license to practice an attorney, but they're paying him as an attorney and treating him like that. That's how endemic white supremacy and racism is. Are you hearing me? Are you listening to me? I told her, forget it. I said, forget that foolishness. If they're not going to respect you, don't go there. Tell them to go sit down on a pike. Are you hearing me? That's how endemic racism is. So to say that I did not know is disingenuous. You're not not—you're not becoming a friend of mine by saying that because you must know that you're at the top of the food chain and that you intend to keep and maintain your position at the top of the food chain. And there's so many examples. I mean, What do you think has been happening to all these young Black people? We actually have a gallery of young Black people who have been killed in the last seven years due to police violence. We're not talking about the previous decade. We're not going to talk about Amadou Diallo from 1999. We're not going to talk about what happened in the 80s or the 90s. We're just going to talk about what happened since 2000. Maybe we actually will start talking about what happened since 2010 in that decade. Let's just do that. There's a whole gallery of young black people, of black people who have been killed forcibly by police violence. That does not include the number of of them, whose spirits, of those whose spirits were killed by racism in corporate spaces, racism in political spaces, racism in job equity, racism in healthcare. Do you know, possibly know, how many Black people have been killed because of racism in healthcare? You go to the doctor and complain that you, you're, you're having chest pain. And they say, oh, you're just having anxiety and send you home and the person dropped dead from a heart attack. Because their family members may not have the voice to speak up or may not have representation, or can't afford a lawyer that don't sue. Me, I'm suing you. You're going to feel that. Right? Do you know how many Black people have been killed? And right now, right at, as we speak, how many Black businesses have gone out of business since the pandemic and did not qualify for the, 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 the CARES Act loan that was being given to businesses? The inequities in the system. We could not just meet the threshold. The thresholds were there, we couldn't meet it. Why were those thresholds there? Because they're so endemic and systemic that they automatically apply thresholds that they know would disqualify and they don't even think twice about it. It's nothing. If you don't think racism exists, think about this for a second. There was a Trump rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and there was a section for Black Voices for Trump. If that does not remind you of what used to happen years ago, where the colored all sat in one section, I don't know what else. The optics on that just look crazy to me. And I'm like, you actually sat there consciously and not realize that you're sitting in the colored section, just like your ancestors sat, and they fought for that not to happen, to be integrated, and you still go create a whole section. It's unbelievable. And all of these are attempts for people to say, I am being seen. I am being heard. They want their voices heard. And in the loudness of whiteness, they feel the only way they can get their voices heard is to form a group. God help us all. So the 22nd of June would have been to Rice's 18th birthday. He's a member of Generation Z had he lived. All of Generation Z are graduating high school this month. They're all graduating high school in the midst of a pandemic, virtual graduation, uh, seamless graduation, drive-through graduation, finding new ways to make young people graduate. Tamir Rice would have graduated. How do you think his family feel that instead of celebrating his graduation, as they watch other young people, because he went to school, he was a well-liked young man at his school, (laughs) they were surprised that he would have been shot because the way the police wrote the report and presented the report was that he was this violent kid who was firing shots. Comes to find out, as usual, it was a lie. The police always write the police report to cover their tracks and cover themselves when they have hurt people indiscriminately. I am hoping that out of this police reform comes the fact that good police officers emerge and stop putting up this code and this veil of silence when you know your buddies have a violent streak and know that they kill people indiscriminately. I am hoping that becomes a part of it. The Detroit police chief said something similar when he said, if you see it and you don't report it, you're just as bad. So we need to start, you officers who say you're the good police cops, you want us all to know, no, you're not all bad, well, start standing up. In this scenario, I had to go research and, you know, kind of go back into this one because certainly uh, he died November 23rd, 2014. It was a few years after Trayvon Martin. I think I was numb by then. I remember when it happened and how shocked I was because I couldn't believe that such a thing could have happened. But it did. And I had to go back into the facts. So I went back into the facts. So let me refresh your memory. Tamir Rice was in a park. Some 911 caller called the police and said there was a young male uh, uh, with with a gun. The person said it looks like it's a toy gun, and he looks like a juvenile but that information was not conveyed to the police was not relayed to the police by the 911 dispatcher in fact listening to the 911 calls the dispatcher kept asking if the kid black or white the card did not say what color he was the police show up and according to them tamir 12 years old pulled something out from his waist that looked like a gun and 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 they shot him now the honest truth is, when they went to pick it up, it was a toy gun. It lacked the orange part of it for the cops to know that it's a toy gun. They, they, they reviewed the case, and they still felt that it was justified to shoot a 12-year-old black boy. They would not have shot a 12-year-old white kid, even if he were brandishing a gun. We know this happens because they go into trailer parks, and they go into homes where 12-year-old white kids on Ritalin and all kinds of drugs act out, and they don't pull guns on them. But they pull the gun on this 12-year-old kid and shot him dead. If you are black, if you're a black kid, and you would only know this if you're black and the cops show up, first of all, your mama and daddy and your parents have already told you, your whole family have already told you, you see the police, you put your hands up. And here we are. He was shot and he died the next day. They probably hoped he would have lived but he was shot in the torso. Now, the police officer who did this remember now they did an investigation and they found that he did nothing wrong. The police officer who did this formerly worked for Independence, Ohio and was deemed emotionally unstable to do the job so he was fired. He did not state that on his application to the Cleveland Police Department. The Cleveland Police Department did not do a background check on the cop. So that exposes the first weakness in the link. Why was this cop not investigated? Why are cops not being given a psyche valve and a background check? So he was fired later by the Cleveland Police Department because of this fact. Not because he killed Timory Rice, but because he did not tell them that he was emotionally unstable. He was 26 years old. We're finding that a lot of these cops who are doing the killing are very young. Why? But the question I really wanna ask is, the city of Cleveland, Ohio, 49.6% black and 33% white. Why do we continue to put white cops in black neighborhoods? That's the question. The question really is why do we do that? Why are you hiring cops who do not look like the neighborhoods they serve? If you're living in Texas, Nevada, New Mexico, Arizona, and some parts of the Southwest that are predominantly of Native American or Latin or Latino extraction, why would the police not look like the communities they serve? Why do we continue to do this, knowing that since 2010, when the FBI first disclosed that a number of white supremacists had infiltrated police departments across the country, and that their research, their investigation shows that this is going to cause a problem, why did cities and police departments did not do random police checks? You all like to do police checks on people, yeah? some cop gets it into his head that he has the power of the badge and the gun, and he's going to show the rest of the community how much of a power he has. So he's just suddenly, all of a sudden now, he's going to, when you put, he gets pulled over, he thinks he can run through your criminal background check. He's going to run through your background and come and tell you, well, I see you have a charge here. I see you don't have a charge here. And did you see that it was treated with dispatch? Do you see what I'm saying? So I am saying you're giving people, This indiscriminate amount of power, this indiscriminate amount of access, and still expect that they're just going to sit there and they're not going to exercise it when they feel powerful. They're having a bad day, like all of us have a bad day every now and then. Things don't go right at home. You know, you didn't get paid how much you can't. You tried to buy something you can't buy, whatever your issue Wife got mad. Husband got mad. Kids are upset. Everything is going crazy. A car wouldn't start, and you're paying so much for the carnal, whatever the issue is, the alarm system doesn't work. Whatever it is, people have issues. Your mother called you. Why did not you going to see me? Your dad called you. This, that, and everything else and all the kitchen things. People have issues. And you put such a person behind the wheel of a car with lights. Give them a badge and a gun. And you don't check to make sure that they're not emotionally unstable that they can properly compartmentalize their lives, that what happens at home stays at home till I get back there, and that I don't take that with me into my job so I don't go postal on people. Because that's clearly what's being done. They're going postal on the public. And they're doing so indiscriminately on people who have black skin. People like me. I don't know what color skin you have, but they're doing it on people who look like me and maybe even sound like me. So you are putting these kinds of people and not expect that there's going to be some blowback. And I just want to take a moment here to tarry on the fact that Tamir Rice's family did not get to enjoy a high school graduation. Tamir Rice's family did not get to see their kid matriculate through the different levels of high school. If you've ever raised any kids, and they're going off to college, we all know what that matriculation process is. Matter of fact, as much as they give us hell, we enjoy it because you're watching the child, the baby, grow into the child and grow up into something of what you think they will look like as an adult. And you get to sit there as a parent and marvel at it, even when they're tearing you apart, even when you don't like how they're behaving, but you're still looking at the tug of war that's taking place. And at the end of the day, you still want to be able to put your hands on the face of your child. You still want to be able to put your hands on the shoulder of your child. You want to turn that child. There's no greater joy in the world than calling your child's name. And they turn their heads and look at you. And they're able to talk back and say, yes, mom, or yes, dad. Tamir Rice's mother is calling her son's name, but he can't answer her. Tamir Rice's mother wants to turn, wants to see her son turn his head to look at her. But she can't because he's six foot six and under. And she had to put him away under a grave and seal that grave up for the rest of time, as long as she lives. And she can never see her child again, except in a video that was taken before his death or except in a photo. That's how painful that is. And this is what we ask for justice for Breonna Taylor. We ask that these things be done with dispatch and post haste, because if they're not, then police officers all over the country will not be deterred from pulling over people and shooting indiscriminately at black people as if we're target practice. Who are you kidding? You want target practice, my friend. Dudes go in to the, in, into the woods and hunt wild animals. We're not here for you to, to try something out on to see if you push the button this far. This is not a police state. I don't care what the New York police commissioner says. He's not bigger than the law. The governor is the law. And time they feel like shutting that down, they're going to shut it down. They've had enough. People have had enough. And what's going to probably change this is when white people themselves start saying, you know what? The police have too much power for real. We need to taper that down and and calm that down. The same police pull your kids over and they take him to your house and say, well, John, your your little Johnny was down the street and we found him there. Uh, Here he is. A black mother gets visited by the state trooper who tells her her son is lying on a slab in a morgue cut up and dissected like a piece of meat. But a white mother gets her son as bad as he is, pushing pills, pushing drugs, raping and pillaging and killing young girls and beating them up and shooting up with his friends, but he gets escorted home. That's disparity. That's racism. And that's white supremacy. The median income in in in, uh, in Cleveland, the median income is twenty-seven thousand three hundred and forty-nine dollars. The median income that tells me that there is poverty. I have found in my experience that wherever there is poverty, there is violence. Wherever there is poverty, violence is attendant to it. So, in an in a state and in a city that's forty-nine percent black. And in a city of 381,000 people and 49% of that population is black, that's almost half of the population. And if the median income is 23,000, 27,000, there's poverty there. And if there's poverty, there is violence. And you have a white police force who have been perpetrated and infiltrated by white supremacist cops. Who threaten everybody and whose job it is to continue their own Nazis racist agenda. It's amazing to me how haven't you noticed in history how good things don't last? Have you noticed? In history, good things don't last. No, they simply don't. In history, the good that people do don't last, but the bad that people do last. Nazism is a legacy of Hitler. It's something people in Germany don't really want to be reminded of. Just like everywhere else, there are fringe elements. But the larger German population, they're embarrassed by Nazis. And first of all, Hitler wasn't even really German. Hitler was a Jew from Austria. His mother was Jewish, just so you know. Right? And Hitler, who was not German but was born in Austria, grew up in Austria, and they took over and landed in Germany. You guys are following a story. Do you even really know the root of it? Did you know that Hitler's mother was Jewish? It's something that is not widely known. So really, what you're following, that's why he put the truth in in concentration in in, in ovens because he hated himself. That's why they had this thing about being pure Aryan and foolishness like that, because he hated the fact that his mother was Jewish. So while he could say, well, my father is this and that, the womb that you come out of, the womb that you come out of is who you are. (laughs) Ain't that something? Isn't that something? Yeah? Amazingly. And, and and this is the, the, the story that we need to find out, right? This is the story. Because let me see if somebody's calling here. They don't the want to be here. Hello. Good morning. Welcome to Down to Earth. Morning. Good morning. Welcome to Down to Earth. Hello. Yes. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I am late. You called in. Ah, uh, you have something to say about Tamir Rice? Would have been eighteen years old. Uh, no, I was I was just trying to listen to uh, the the program. Um, uh, it is it, really unfortunate uh, that that situation. Uh, because uh, there had been no uh, you know, no kind of penalties for the for the person who who did that. Uh, right. I mean, he he shows up on the scene and seconds later the, the, the boy is, is dead you know it, uh uh-huh. um, you know I think I think all of this needs to, to to lead to some type of reform or some type of uh, uh some serious change in, in this in this whole dynamic because uh this has to stop. Hmm. Absolutely. Well thank you for calling It Appreciate it. And that is exactly what we said. This has to stop. You heard the caller. This has to stop. I want to make sure that because there are a lot of folks who are listening and so on, and I, I, we have to get to the stage where we recognize that these are human beings. This is somebody's child, right? This is somebody's baby. Uh, my daughter turns 18 in a few weeks. She's graduating high school. She, In fact, she's now fully graduated high school, so she has completely matriculated that Early childhood experience that's over. Uh, this morning, uh, just before we left, I got a chance to sit with her. I found myself walking into her bedroom and sitting on the edge of the bed because I knew I was going to talk about this today. And I found myself putting my hand on her face. Now, you, if you have teenagers at home, you know how they are. They don't like to be touched, but, you know, especially by parents, <laughs> right? Oh, don't touch me. And I found myself turning her head so she could look at me. And I can't begin to tell you the feeling, the thrill of knowing that my child is someone, I can touch her face and her eyes can turn and look at me. And she said, Mom, Tamir Rice, his mother can't do that. Trayvon Martin's mom can't do that. Michael Brown's mother can't do that. This got to stop. Sandra Bland's mother can't do that. Breonna Taylor's mother can't do that. Did you just realize I named five people, five people who have been killed. Their mothers cannot touch their kids' faces and say something to their child and make that child turn and look at that mother. Jesus, something has got to end. can't continue. We must all come to this place where we recognize that. And until all the Karens of the world, until all white mothers recognize that when George Floyd laid on the ground and called out his mama, if your womb did not respond, if you didn't feel your head pivoted, if you did not pivot, if you didn't feel a stirring up in your soul, you are not human. Because George Floyd was 46, and when he said, Mama, I turned my head and looked because it could have been anyone's child. It could have been my kid laid out on that ground. And until we come to this realization that as a society, we don't look good, we are beginning to look Nazi-ish. We're beginning to look like what Hitler wanted. And Hitler died almost 100 years ago. World War Two has been gone. It's 80 years. And we're still here trying to mimic that foolishness, that collapse? We're still trying to recreate Jim Crow that didn't work? You know, sociologists and economists will tell you that slavery ended because they didn't have an exit strategy. Slavery ended because they didn't have a plan. Slavery was not the plan. They didn't have a follow-up plan that, you know, how in business, You have a plan A, plan B, plan C. So your clients, this is your plan A. Then you have this group. If I don't make money this way, I make money that way. I make money. They didn't have that. The planters in the South didn't think that far. All they, they never saw the day when the group of black people who outnumbered them would rise up. They never saw the day when there would be conscious people, even amongst their own kind would rise up and say, this has got to stop. They never saw that. Consequently, what happened? What happened was it, it, it collapsed. It began to collapse. It's referred to as the Atlantic slave trade. But for the rest of us in trafficking, it's called the greatest human trafficking event in history. The trafficking of Black people from Africa to the Americas. They were taken. They were trafficked their descendants today are still being treated like target practice, still being treated like you're on a plantation and you must beg massa for favor. Hence, you sit in a rally to elect a president, but you're sitting in the colored section that says Black voices. We got to stop. This has to stop. We can't continue to perpetuate racism, and white supremacy because it is destructive to me. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen between now and this this turning around. But all I know is that it is going to have to stop and turn around. That's all I know. I can't promise you that it's going to happen today, tomorrow, that suddenly people are going to wake up and become conscious that this has got to change, so maybe I need to move forward with change. I cannot promise you that. But I do know that whilst we keep the memory up of those whose lives have been cut off, cut off or because of this racism, that's how to keep the consciousness in front of people. So they're always conscious. We're all driving past police right now. They ain't pulling it over anybody. You know why? They don't want to be a hashtag on Twitter. They don't want to be what? Tried for murder. It's not just that you lose your pen, they still get their pension, but it's that you might just end up in the same prison where with the people whom you put away. So now they're behaving themselves. Why? Because if we didn't march and we didn't call attention, it would, there would have been another Eric Garner. There would have been another George Floyd. In fact, there were two, David McAfee and Richard Brooks. Right after, it would have just continued and continued. Richard Brooks was two, fr- was, this Friday will be two Fridays. Today, while we are now yet here, Richard Brooks's funeral is taking place today. Did you hear me? Richard Brooks' funeral is taking place on today, Tuesday. Is it fair? No, it's not. I challenge every white person out there, every white mother. You see all these boys dying. You have your sons. When you see your sons, what do you do? Do you hug them a little closer? And do you thank God that they're white? Because this will never happen to them. I don't know about that. We live in a world that is fast changing. I don't know about that. You might want to make sure that you're on the side that calls for reform so this never happens to you because there are no guarantees. You don't know when it will switch and when it will flip. And the call right now has to be that the city governments across the country in neighborhoods that are predominantly black need to ensure to minimize and mitigate the number of these instances from taking place. They need to ensure that their their police departments hire people who look like the communities they serve. So if your community is predominantly Hispanic, then that's who you need to hire as police officers. Who else is going to understand the culture and the variances and nuances of culture there? Who else is going to be able to speak their language, so to speak, whether literally or whether just euphemistically? Who else is going to be able to do that? And if you're in a predominantly Black neighborhood, then you've got to hire police officers who kind of know the language that Black people speak. We've been doing this wrong, and consequently, as a result of doing it wrong, what we have done is we have created a monolith that the police now feel that they are untouchable. I got an alert on my phone last night because police in East Harlem, New York, were, were popping fireworks and driving around with their lights on like it's a festival. I couldn't believe it. I said, this uh, this is a lie. This could not be happening until it got retweeted. And the New York police commissioner was on TV talking about everything is all fine and and hunky-dory. I'm telling you right now, Governor Comer, I like you and all, but I don't know if I'm visiting New York real soon. Because your police force is terrifying. And I don't want to be the one whom they pull over and put in the chokehold and I can't breathe like Eric Garner and 41 shots fired like Amadou Diallo. I'm telling you. We we'll probably all need to start boycotting these 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 uh, cities where this rampant violence is taking place. We we'll probably need to stop going there, stop visiting them, stop supporting businesses that are in these cities. Because when you think about it, we are supporting your economies, but you are killing people who look like us and doing so as if it's sports, as if it's a joke. I often wonder if there's a locker room where they have, you know, pictures of blackheads, and they're just going there and throw a dart and say, oh, we're getting one of those today. I've never seen a a system where adrenaline is what pumps you up. And you just see, oh, you see a black man driving down the street. Oh, my God, let's go catch him, And you all jump in your car, so the adrenaline just keeps going and going. What is this? Are you still on the playground? Are you a bully? Oh, you think bullying is part of policing. Okay. So what happens when you actually do have to fight real crime? Do you, are you bullying anybody then? What happens when you really catch a murderer? Is that the point where it's not fun, so you let due process take over? So Oh, so let me guess, due process only works when it's a real criminal, but the rest of the time it's just fort. Well, that's what it looks like from over here, from where I'm sitting. It looks like you think my life is sport, So you're going to have as much fun as you can pursuing me because my life is sport. Ain't going to happen, dudes. Ain't finna to happen. This has got to stop and this has to change. We- we've come to this place. This has got to go. We can't continue to do this, to right? should be graduating high school and should have all the options available to him like everybody else. We should be able to raise our children without fear of them being pulled over. I have an 18-year-old who drives. I'm terrified. Yeah. Slightly terrified. Can't wait for her to go to college. (laughs) Right? I'll get a reprieve for a while there. about worrying about them driving and being pulled over and they're in a car. And because, you know, teenagers don't do anything by themselves. They're always in a group and a crowd. I can't wait. I have to look at that. You see what I'm saying? Why isn't Tamir Rice on his way to college? Why, isn't, why aren't his parents? Sandra Bland graduated college and was on her way to start a new job. Why didn't her mother get to see her daughter prosper? My daughter went to law school. Why is she not prospering as she should based on her skill and her education and training? Why does she still have to be subject to a system of white supremacy where the white man is dominant, even though he doesn't have the training that she has, but just because he's white and the system is designed that way? This has got to stop. This is what we're talking about. This is what we're talking about. And to be honest with you, I'm not resentful if it hadn't happened to me. I I, I probably wouldn't feel it as much. So I'm glad that it happened to me. It creates a level of awareness in me that drives me to want to ensure that this changes. This has got to change. I promise you In a few weeks, we're going to be here doing another story on another Tamir Rice, another Richard Brooks, another George Floyd. I promise you there'll be another Breonna Taylor. I pray it's not my kid nor your kid, but I know that there is going to be because the system has not changed. The system and the ideology that supports this kind of environment for this to happen has not changed. And until that change comes, there's going to be another Rashard Brooks, there's going to be another George Floyd, another Tamir Rice, another Trayvon Martin, another Sandra Bland, another Michael Brown, another Eric Gardner, another Breonna Taylor. Let's not forget the story of Atiana. She was babysitting her nephew after coming home from work, and a Dallas police officer went and shot her up in her own home. She was in her home. Shot her up in front of her nephew. He's traumatized for life. Are you hearing me, people? Are you hearing me? We've got to stop this. I don't know when the memo is going to show up, but we got to stop this. I don't know when this is going to be, but we got to stop this. All I know, it ain't going to be me. It ain't going to be me. Why? Because you're not going to like it. Because I don't have time to cry. At that point, I won't be crying. I will be acting. Because somehow, you're going to bring my kid back to me. And since you can't bring her back, then something is going to happen. I am not, uh, this is, this forced me to, I'm just being transparent, this forced me to have to confront myself. And I have to ask myself, are you intimidated by the threat of violence from the police? And when I could truthfully answer that question and say yes, I said, no, that's when it got a change. Because I am not the person to live in fear and to wonder about my safety. As far as I'm concerned, the police has a job to do. That's what they have been enacted and empowered to do. Their job is to protect and serve. That's what I expect them to do. So if I have an issue and I call the police, I expect them to attend to the issue. I don't expect the police to be firing pellets and handcuffing journalists when they present their badge. I don't expect that. I don't expect the police to be chasing journalists down. Even when they show their badge, you're still chasing them down and handcuffing them because you want to prove that you are the boss and you are in charge. What's with the adrenaline rush? Administrators of police departments, you need to conduct a psych eval on all your officers. It must look different from the one you do on the public, naturally. but you got to conduct it and you need to get those people out of the force. They don't belong on the force. They're not peace officers. Police officers police officers are supposed to be peace officers. They're supposed to show up and ensure that you and I feel safe. You're supposed to see the police car and say, okay, it's gonna be all right now. You're not supposed to see the police car and say, oh my God, duck for cover. They're coming for me. That's gotta change. That's gotta change. There's nothing wrong with a police officer saying, well, you know, I have certain views about life, okay? As long as those views are not going to be detrimental to me, where they're going to rob me of my ability to breathe and rob me of my life. We are going to disagree on what you think is moral and right. As far as I'm concerned now, none of us have this down pat. Because what might be good for you And what might be expedient for you might not be expedient for me because our circumstances are different. You know, for years, we were all judgmental about people expressing themselves until the shoe dropped on the other foot. And we realized how unique we were and how silly we were because we're holding on to these traditional viewpoints that have no broad-based application that were hurting people whom we loved. So we had to adjust And then you come back and say, well, you know, I'm Christian and this is what we believe. So I'm like, go back and read the book. Go back to basics. Go back and read the book. You have to question certain things (laughs) and ask certain things. Are you hearing me? But this right here, this violence right here, this violence, and somebody's saying, well, you know, well, there's black and black crime. Do you know why black and black crime happens? Frustration. You realize that black people are more prone to being unemployed right now and have always been like that. And you wonder why they're, who else are they going to shoot? They can't drive out to to, to suburban areas because the cops are out there. So they're frustrated because they're not making any money. They're going to turn the gun on someone, invariably someone whom they know because that's just how violence is. Whether you're black or white, that's the nature of violence. <clears throat> they turn a the gun on someone they know. And it had to happen because for years, I championed the police. I'm just saying so. I thought they're here to do a job, let's see, you know. But now, I'm looking at this. And I used to think that Trayvon and Premier were isolated incidents, that those were just bad actors. Those police officers were bad actors. But then, I said, wait a minute. This is system-wide. So this has to change. So today is Rashard Brooks's funeral. Today. Think about that. There's a girl, an eight-year-old girl, who for the rest of her life is going to remember that her father was killed on her birthday. He was doing nothing wrong. There is a family, a mother right now, who is touching her belly and saying, my womb is empty. The child I gave birth to is laid out in a cemetery. If I want to see my kid, I can't see his face. I can only see a concrete tombstone. Where is my kid? Why is he not here? She has to reconcile that every day. Trevon Martin's mother has to get up every day and say, if Trevon were here, Eric Garner's mom has to say, oh, God, not another son. George Floyd's daughter had to have other people pay for her college education because her father is dead, killed. I hope they get a $40 million settlement from the Minneapolis Police Department. That's what I would go for. Until we get rid of these, the root cause of the problem is white supremacy. The idea that one race is superior and another race is inferior. That's the root cause. That's what has caused war and violence across this nation and across this planet. Until we dismantle that way of thinking, there's going to be another to me I hope soon. I really hope not anytime. time. My name is Harriet Kemick. Go to my website, HarrietKimmich.com. My podcasts are available on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcast, and iHeartRadio. Anywhere there's a podcast platform, my podcasts are there. I want to thank you so much for joining me. This morning, it's a solemn day. Richard Brooks, I say condolences to the family. I give shout out to everyone on the front line still protesting. Shout out to Anonymous. Shout out to the young people, the teenagers who are becoming just as vocal. Generation Z and millennials, you're it. It's up to you. Help us. Let's come together and find a way out of these issues. Thanks so much, everybody. It's Tuesday. Terrific. Make it a good one. Thanks so much, everybody. Be blessed. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, everybody. Be blessed. Thank you so much, everybody. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?